2: Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. This is the main show. I'm Manu Feit, he's Stefan Bejankowski, and also he is Matt Ford. Hey guys, how's it going? First of all, Stefan, you returning from what looked like a gorgeous, gorgeous hike in Scotland. Um, beautiful day, apparently. Um, how's it going?
1: Yeah, it was a beautiful day. It's the first kind of dry day we've had in three or four days. So the wife and I took the dog up. Uh, it's a valley near us called Glen Finglass. Uh It's a nice little walk. It's only about an hour, six or seven K. But I have Mondays off, so they're kind of like my Sundays. So yeah, it was a nice kind of a nice Sunday
2: afternoon walk, shall we say. So I'm feeling refreshed. Fantastic. And Matt, um, no soccer for you or football to, for you this evening. It got cancelled. Uh gives us a bit more time to record the show. That's great. But how are you doing otherwise? Yeah, actually quite glad that my
0: football got cancelled tonight. There's quite a few of us on our team have actually fallen a bit ill and picked up a bit of a cold. Uh, I don't think me running around in the rain in Frank for, for half of yesterday afternoon has helped. But uh, yeah, it's that time of the year, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. Everyone is coughing and sneezing and the nose is running. Um, the, the change of season is definitely here. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of Frankfurt, I'm actually going to be in Frankfurt. Uh, not tomorrow. I'm flying tomorrow, but you know, with the time change, time difference, and all that, I will be there Wednesday early in the morning, which is going to be that's going to be terrible. I landed eight o'clock in the morning, which means I have to stay up that entire day to to do my jet lag therapy. <laughs> and I'm only there for five days, so uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be crazy. But guys. Um, we want to talk about the Frankfurt game um, and a bunch of other topics. So, you know, rather than playing around with formalities, let's get paid first and then um, jump right into the topics. This episode of the Gegenpressing podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for you all your NBA action this season. With MLB, postseason, NFL and college football and NHL in full swing, BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to, head to BetOnline today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code BELIEVE, that is BLEAV BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts. So yeah, boys, uh Frankfurt. I think you know we, we we debated this before um before we started the podcast and we right away started shouting at each other about VR and uh, the the uselessness of it all. And uh Matt, you were at this game and um the Marius Wolf was it, it was Wolf with the handball, right? Um yeah, yeah the, the penalty um We chatted about this on the WhatsApp chat. Um, The referee team has now come out and admitted that this was a mistake. First of all, um, I am not one of the guys that says we need to cancel VR, get rid of it, beg it, bin it, whatever. I think that that's gone. That's not going to happen. Someone actually made an excellent point to me with all the betting now in sport. It's never going to, we're never going to get rid of it. But remember why we got VR. We got VR to get rid of clear and obvious errors. Guys, the referee looked straight at that handball. There was no need to go to a monitor or to, like, ask for backup or anything. You could just make the decision right there and then. And if you get it wrong, great. Uh, Well, not great, but, you know, you, you get it wrong or you get it right. Either way, I don't think anyone would have complained about it, but they needed five five extra minutes and got it wrong anyways so i guess before we talk even about this game i think this is something that we really need to debate here i think the one thing i would really like to change about vr is that we have to get referees back to refereeing and now the floor is yours guys is uh matt i know you have lots of thoughts about this too so let you can start with it
0: and i i don't have any new thoughts Oh, though. um i remember having this discussion a few weeks ago probably a few weeks before that and indeed Mm. three or four years before that so no 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 particularly new thoughts three or four years Uh, has it been
2: that long already uh, then maybe not three or four has been three yeah or four no Hmm. 28 yeah you're right it's five it's been five years bloody hell yeah COVID, COVID breaks do do things to your uh,
0: sense (laughs) of time don't they Uh, it really Mm. has been that long no um i i I really don't have uh much more to contribute on the on the, uh, the the fundamentals of it um I think people know my stance, I, I would get rid of it tomorrow, and as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, the the refereeing team and the, the DFB uh, coming out today, so it's Monday, Monday evening, um, and I was admitting that those, it wasn't just the, uh, the one decision with the uh, Marius Wolf handball, it was also the penalty which, was, which uh, wasn't given when uh, Alex Meyer, the replacement goalkeeper, came out and basically uh, took, uh, took out Omar Mamouche before before the ball uh, yeah for, for for me a clear pen and that one wasn't given uh, and the other way around I, I thought that the, the, the penalty given against Mario's Volf for handball was really really harsh and yet that one was given um, turns out in hindsight at least according to the D F P that I was um, I was right but so what it still cost us about well in total 8 minutes there were 8 minutes added time at the end of the first half uh, in, in Frankfurt and the decisions weren't even correct so, yeah, I don't really have much more to add on that. Uh, it's a shame, I think, to to start talking about it because um, it was one well, of the most entertaining games I've been to in a long time. Really exciting game, really entertaining game,
2: and it's a shame that we have to start by talking about VAR again, to be honest. Stefan, do you think they made a make- make-up call there for the second penalty, knowing that they got the first one wrong?
1: Well, no, because as the old saying goes, two wrongs don't make a right. And
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: This, I, th- I honestly think I completely agree with Matt. I would, I would get rid of VR tomorrow if I could. And I think this game is a perfect example of why it doesn't work because you had two instances where the referee in real time chose not to make a decision. The VR team in Cologne or the in the bunker in Cologne, wherever they are now, I think they're still in Cologne. They decided that it was worth what looking back, and they still made the wrong call. So, at every line in the process, something went wrong. And it, it, it's a perfect example of why VAR doesn't work. And I've been making this point for a while now that, you know, we were promised, or the, the way that FIFA and UEFA sold VAR was that it was going to get rid of bad referee calls. But what that really meant was we're going to get rid of the human error in football, which was obviously never going to be the case because the entire process still comes back to a human making a decision at some point in the decision line. And as we saw in this game, the two people are the people making the decisions for the first penalty, which was given, which was a wrong call, in my opinion, and the second penalty, which wasn't given, which is also a wrong call, in my opinion. And... It, it it just goes to show that you can have cameras, you can have a second or third opinion, and you can go back and retrospectively look at these calls and these referees will still get them wrong from time to time. So it's 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 a completely it's a complete fool's errand to try and eliminate human error from from football. And that's that's my fundamental issue with VAR. It's 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 trying to right a wrong that I think is a fundamental pillar of football. I think that's what makes it a beautiful game. I think you have to you, you have to have a degree of luck or chance or an unquantifiable factor involved in football so that, you know, it it, it can't be it, it can't be just commoditized and and, and, and wrapped up in and, and and sealed off and then sold. Because that's what FIFA wants, you know. I'm not. I don't want to turn to big rant about FIFA and you figure, but they're trying to minimise the, the the little gaps and the little crookedness and the little imperfections in football. Because as soon as they do that, they can sell it as a better product. So
0: yeah. I think that that idea of, remo- of removing jeopardy is also the same one that's behind you know, the, the various attempts at the you know, Champions League reforms or Super League. Um, I think I think both of those ideas. I think I think they come from. I think they come from the same sort of ideological background as VAR. Which is trying to remove chance, trying to remove the unquantifiables, because ultimately, um, I suppose with that much money slashing around in the game, the un- the unquantifiables are what risk losing teams massive amounts of cash. Um. So I suppose from that purely of well, that. Uh, but I that's what to happens when you, you bring you in billionaire owners it. mad. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um so um football's built this yeah, has made this bed this bed for itself,
1: I
2: suppose. Um, so we can blame Sky in the Premier League, that's great. I I, I, <laughs> I take that. <laughs> Yeah, well,
1: and and most of all, Manchester United. Um I
0: would I would subscribe to that. <laughs> absolutely. Take um, it from me. No,
1: but no, but but Matt, you're you're absolutely right. I mean I don't want to derail this into a conversation about FIFA yeah, yeah. and UEFA, but I was honestly sitting kind of thinking about all this this afternoon, thinking I I feel like it it if you just completely ripped football apart and and, and tore it apart from these kind of centralized kind of magnetic um, pools that are obviously are, the, are these kind of are these kind of figures that are, are 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 trying to you know ring uh, iron out all the wrinkles in football. If you just kind of got rid of all these things, arguably in my opinion, even to the extent of disbanding the governing bodies entirely. In my opinion, yeah. I mean, do we really need a FIFA? Do we even really well, need a UEFA? We, for...
2: we, we need it but not is in much it, it like today. This is quite revolutionary now, Stefan. No, but like, <laughs> but like, FIFA used to be a FIFA used to be a small office that oversaw the yeah, World Cup. That's exactly, it. exactly. And, and and like, if if we
1: actually went back to a situation where football is just run by the federations, and you know, every time it's a World Cup, you know, ten or twelve people get in a room and just kind of agree where it work, where how it works, or, or they meet every twenty years and agree that the rules that they have in place work and yeah, keep going. I, I think it. I think football. Going back to its roots in that sense, and eliminating the technology, eliminating the middlemen, eliminating the power, because with power comes money, and it's the money that is kind of you know it's 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 the money that's trying to exert its control on these on the, on the sport, and that's why we have things like VAR and all sorts of other things as well. As Matt said, you know, Champions League reform and all these bloody competitions that are forcing these players to play like sixty or seventy games a a year, as if they're like as if they're cattle going through a cattle farm or something, you know, and they have to be kind of commoditized. It's all just, I don't know, this is what happens when I go on a hike. I start I, start, I start thinking about stupid stuff.
2: I, I'm going to make an, a counter-argument here a little bit. Um, that is actually... Can, 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 we just, of... can
1: we just acknowledge that we start talking about Dormant here and I'm not saying we have to disband well, FIFA.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, we we get the Dormant, This is what, Dor- this is what Dormant does to um, people. <laughs> um... The, the big American sports um, that are also owned by, by big money and in some ways, American football is, is the richest league in the world, right? Um, NFL, I mean, not American football, but NFL is the richest league in the world and it makes the most money. They ensure that someone else wins it pretty much every year. And, you know, although they have a, a similar thing to VER, you know, chance can still happen there as well same thing with baseball completely reinvented this year so that you know to increase the level of chance it it actually kind of speaks to what you're saying Stefan that like we need almost need this level of chance we need this level of surprise for sport to be truly successful the one thing that I might want to add to the whole VAR debate we have to remember VAR was brought in to eliminate clear and obvious errors I'm talking about someone you know, a, a referee missing um, a clear handball because someone, a ball goes towards the line and someone, you know, plays goalkeeper and swipes the ball off and the referee misses that. That's a black and white situation, right? That's why we brought in VER. We brought in the goal line technology, which I think is, is great as well. You know, that's a black and white situation. We didn't bring it in to measure whether a player was a millimeter offside, or whether a handball was a handball or not, those you know, those those are not the things we brought in. We are in for. That's maybe my final point on that. And like, either you make it a black and white thing, or you just don't. But essentially, with this handball, let's bring it back to the Dortmund game, right? To this very situation, that handball is a subjective call. Whether one referee looks at it or how. However many people sit in the bunker, like let's make it six or seven, right? It's still a subjective call, and we couldn't even agree in the WhatsApp chat. Like ultimately, I I thought it was a handball. That's wrong. Apparently, that's fine. I can live with that. But you know, even we in the chat couldn't agree whether that was a handball or not. So that's a subjective call. So just make we have to give the refereeing back to the referees on the field. Yeah. I
1: think you made a really good point in the chat, which I don't think you mentioned on the show, which I was waiting for you to say was that, and I, and I am just literally taking your point here, Manu, but I think you made a really good point when you said it's almost like VAR is taking the responsibility out of the hands of the referees. And the way that the referees behaved in that Dorbin game was they didn't, they were actually, I, I can't remember the referee's name, but he was almost too scared or had gone into the habit of not making calls and just waiting for VAR to say, go back and make that call where And that maybe, happens all the time you know,
2: now right? Yeah. It happens all the time and that that is the number one thing that bothers me about VR is that they're yeah. almost too scared to make the call live on the field
1: Yeah, and it and, it, and, it, and it completely defeats, and I mean this, this is my main issue that, you know, we're trying to we're trying to quantify something that Shouldn't really be put in a box. We're talking about you know. Uh, whenever we get into these discussions, I always feel like we have to remind ourselves we're talking about twenty two men running around the pitch kicking a leather ball, and well, there's one guy there who's trying to watch it in real time and he's trying to make decisions in real time based on how and where he's viewing the pitch from, and that that's all football is. Like it's not politics. It's 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 not business it's not banking it's not um you know it's it's not therapy it's just entertainment and if this if we if we did if we hadn't had VR maybe the referee would have made that call for the handball maybe he wouldn't um and maybe he would have made the call for the second penalty call or he wouldn't but I think the difference between back then and now is that it would have been made in real time the players would have got on with it and we would have kept playing and as Matt mentioned at the start of the show, we wouldn't have had to wait eight minutes or have eight, eight minutes of additional time because there's so much faffing and going back and forth from the referee having to goal view the screen and, and whatever else.
2: And we wouldn't have to spend 10 minutes talking about a game that had six goals on VAR. Because yeah, that's how much we it, debated it. And... But, sure. but that's true. I mean, like, we're talking about a game that had six goals and the main talking point is VAR. And that is kind of sad because... I mean, the Bundesliga had 42 goals this this weekend, and you open any sports page, and it's all about refereeing decisions, right? And you make this point with entertainment, I think we need to kind of try to get to a point again where the entertainment aspect is actually at the forefront, rather than us having to debate the fundamentals of who's refereeing a game, whether it's... Uh, a bunch of guys sitting in their refereeing uniform in a bunker in Cologne, or the three guys on the pitch. Yeah, and and let's
1: be clear here: this isn't just a specific problem with Germany. Like on threads no, it's this everywhere. weekend, I was yeah, on threads this weekend, I was talking about how to get We should get rid of VR and I was mouthing off about it. And I had all these football fans in England saying, "No, no, no." The problem is that the referees in England are all corrupt, and you know. And I was trying to explain: look, we have this issue in every single league. And one one commenter said. We should get the guys who did the World Cup because they did a really good job. To which I then said, the referees at the World Cup were the referees from all these domestic leagues, which, and they're also the referees they get criticized every single week by the football fans in their own countries. And this is the—I think this is the other big issue. I think maybe everyone's so siloed in their own league that they don't realize that. I don't know why. I don't know how or when we got to this point where everyone assumed that referees should be infallible, but we are now there, and it
2: and it's. It's obviously absolutely bonkers. Okay. Um, Can I make one final point before we give this to Matt on the, the the six goals that actually happened at the game? MLS does a pretty good job of it. They only go if it's a clear and obvious error. That's my final yeah, point. we're
1: talking about, about serious here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the six goals that actually happened. Matt, you were there. What was it like other than referees? <laughs> Yeah, well, without um, yeah,
0: all the B.A.R. chat aside, and it, it really is a shame that we've had to spend 12, 15 minutes or whatever talking about that because, it, like I said at the, uh, at, the, at the top, it really was one of the most entertaining games I've seen all season um, and I think mainly responsible for that are uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, team who, under Dino Topmuller, are slowly but very surely coming into some sort of form, Um that's now uh, three very... Impressive results on the bounce. Um, good away win against uh, against Hoffenheim last week, followed by the yeah Conference League hammering of of Helsinki. Okay, maybe not the toughest opposition with respect, but you have to. I think as we said on the uh, on on Sunday, Manu, those six goals don't score themselves. So fair enough. Um, and I thought, even though the even though the other yeah, game on Sunday didn't result in three points for them, um, probably the best performance of the of the three though. Um, really, really impressive. I thought they probably did deserve more in the end, but the fact they didn't is probably down to the fact that they are still a work in progress. Um, and I was honestly, I was, I was absolutely, um, yeah, fascinated and incredibly impressed by the front by the front four, which uh, Frankfurt have, um, yeah, seemed to have magiced out of their sleeves, um, this season. Um, I think everyone remembers a few years ago the famous Eintracht Frankfurt Buffalo herd, you know, the the uh, Buffalo uh, Ante Febic, uh Luka Jovic, and who am I forgetting? Sebastian uh, Haller. Sebastian Haller, of course. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they they seem to have found a replacement for 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 that, uh, for, that for that for that attack. Um, not quite the same, perhaps penetrative pace and physicality of of those three. Much more, uh, much more tricky characters, but. Um, Yeah, and with a really, really strong North African connection, Um, Omar Mamouche up front has been, yeah, um, I think leading the line really effectively, doesn't necessarily come across as your typical um, sort of number nine or central striker, but he's been been playing that role really well, Um, backed up ably by um, the three behind him in, um, yeah, Fahez, uh, Shaib, uh, Ansgar Knauf, and and, uh, who am I forgetting in the middle? um a name. yes, exactly. No um 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 Aurelio Buta on the ah, yes. um, on on the on the right um and yeah the combination plays fantastic particularly in between uh between mamush and uh and Shaib. they proved that with some of the combinations away at Hoffenheim uh last week and they were at it again um against Dortmund. Um must be said however and we'll get on to Dortmund in a sec, but they were helped by uh, a series of Matter, really gaping holes uh, on on yeah, Dortmund's yeah. left flank, and we'll get we'll to that in a bit. And I thought it wasn't just me that thought it; and the, the a lot of the Dortmund delegation also uh, were quite aware that uh, Remy Benzbaini and Gio Reyna had been a bit of a weak point on down that left hand side. Um, but yeah, as I've as I've written in the bulletin um, this week, that North African connection was, uh, was 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 finished off by the addition of Elias Skiri in midfield as well. And, uh, yeah, summed up by the third goal. Really, really uh, clinical ball from Skiri into um, into uh, Shaib. And, you know, he's, he's controlled it with maybe a little bit of luck, but he's also held off Ben's Baini at the same time and finished really, really well. So um, really impressed the performance from Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, what I thought was interesting and what I was actually talk, talking to a few of the, like the the more regular Frankfurt reporters at half-time is some of my research around, around Frankfurt I'd heard Topmiller sort of repeating this mantra that he, he doesn't want uh, sort of gung-ho attacking football, he wants stability and he wants structure. I thought, okay, that's interesting because in, from what I've seen recently about Jack Frankfurt, they absolutely are capable of playing really exciting gung-ho attacking football with that front of four. And uh, I put that to him in the press conference and he said, yeah, that is true, maybe we are in the, in, we are able to do that, but the key is to do it from um, yeah, from a, from a a more stable structure to avoid getting caught on the break. And even though this conceded three goals against Dortmund, he did point out that those three goals didn't come from them being caught out on the break. Uh, they came. For, he actually gave the credit to Dortmund and said that you know, Dortmund scored those three goals out of per periods of their own possession. So I think that says a lot about what Dino Topmiller and Frankfurt are trying to do. Uh, he's well aware of the quality that he has up front in that uh, that front of four. A front four which is keeping Mario Götze out of the uh, out of the starting eleven uh, in, in the last month, by the way. Um, however, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's not losing sight of the fact that the, uh, yeah, the, the best teams and the, even the best offenses are, are built on uh, a solid structure behind. So, really exciting times for uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. I was I was in. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get
2: it done. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline. Online. The last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for you, all your NBA action this season. With MLB, postseason, NFL and college football and NHL in full swing, BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to, BetOnline, head to BetOnline today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Believe. that is B-L-E-A-V, Believe to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Niko Kovac was like that at Frankfurt too, right? He built everything from the back to forward. Like we, we talk about that Büffelherde, um, hmm. but we have to remember that the foundation of that was the time under Kovac, right? Um, so I think that is that is actually kind of interesting as well. I think it's interesting I,
0: too that they've managed to keep that transfer policy, that, that, that scouting system and transfer policy yeah. going. Uh, think I, I don't think it would have been unreasonable at the time after they lost um you know Halev, Rebic, in quick, quick succession um to think okay they might struggle now um there are also a few movements in the boardroom, room um, um yeah particularly the, you know, the departure of Freddy Borbic um, and yeah. Kovac as well um, however, yeah, they, they, they seem to have restructured well, and that uh, that scouting system seems to be uh, running as smoothly as ever. And, um, yeah, all, uh, all credit to um, Marcus Klusher, the sporting director, and uh, yeah, to, for putting together um, such a good squad. And also, Indino Topmiller, he seems to have found a coach who, um, yeah, is, I think is making a really, really good first impression.
2: Krush, Krush is a good one um, he's really highly regarded in within the industry and um, is considered a sporting director that has a lot of ton, a lot of good contacts um, you know he was obviously at Leipzig as well so that helps with sort of networking right I thought it was um, very
0: telling at Leipzig that he actually didn't he actually didn't last that long and um, I thought yeah. he I, I thought it was incorrect at the time that it was almost suggested between the lines in some reporting in the um that was a step too far for Marcus Krusher. I think in hindsight it's clear that the problem there was not Marcus Krusher, but rather um, Oliver Minzlaff and hey. some of the other movers um, in the in the Red Bull universe. Um, Marcus Krusher is very much proving that he's a yeah he's a
2: very capable operator. I mean he showed it at Paderborn too, right? He found really good players there as well. Um, smaller budget, obviously, but still, um, Stefan have we underestimated Frankfurt a little bit? Because, like, you know, our mantra for a really long time has been, well, they're not going to be good until the winter when they are finally going to buy a striker. And here they are, um, (laughs) doing just great without a striker. Um, Have we underestimated them a bit?
1: Yeah, we probably have.
2: Um,
1: I think everyone did. I think maybe even Frankfurt did to an extent, Um, in the sense that they kind of plucked you know, top bowler out of almost thin air. And, you know, he arrived at the club with very little first team experience, uh, as a, not a first team experience, that's not the word, but senior head coaching experience. Um, but I've been very impressed with him. Uh, I actually, you know, we've talked on the show about, or about the kind of counterculture to gagging pressing in the Bundesliga and whether there is a kind of underswell of, you know, managers now realizing, well, hey look, if we try things a little differently, we can actually catch a all of these teams out when they do fly forward. Uh, and and Frankfurt have done a great job of that this season. Um, almost, but you know, I maybe ironically or paradoxically, I thought this was a really weird game for both Frankfurt and Dortmund because you know, I think both of them have had a lot of success with very kind of um, you know, very strong defensive performances. Very kind of regimented build ups, and they both seem to be far more comfortable, um, you know, breaking teams down on their level or, or, or at their speed. But this was actually a game in which both teams really kind of threw everything at it. It was a kind of like a basketball game at times, where it was just back and forth, back and forth, which wasn't, it certainly wasn't the way that Dortmund have been playing this season. And maybe that was a case where they were just reacting to Frankfurt's really impressive start. And, you know, much of that was due to the fact that Frankfurt clearly um, targeted Ben Zabaini on the left flank. Uh, as Matt succinctly put in the bulletin, you know, Gio Reina wasn't offering any kind of help on uh, on that left side. Um, that's a really fascinating little subplot as well in itself that he started. First star, I think, since February in the league for Dortmund did very little, put one cross in for Daniel Malm, he could have maybe scored and then gets pulled off at time before he's even really found his feet in the game. Um, but maybe that's something that, you know, in a quieter game, maybe that's something we could have made more of. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. And then, and then, you know, and then in contrast to that, you know, Dortmund seemed to really struggle when Frankfurt forced them to play this kind of counter attacking football, which they haven't really been doing under Terzic. And as Matt mentioned, um, you know, Top makes a really good point that if you actually do watch all the Dortmund goals, uh, particularly I think the Makuku goal, they come about from Dortmund actually putting their foot on the ball, taking a moment to breathe, and then trying to pass the ball through the Frankfurt defence rather than, you know, long balls. Because, I mean, God knows how many times that. Backline tried to play a long ball up to Phil to kind of head it down or something, and you could see he was just kind of rolling his eyes, saying, "What am I supposed to do with this?" Lovely
0: um, well, finish. That's exactly yeah, I how the first goal came about. I really, I, mean, I said, good long ball into Phil He's controlled it really well, I laid it off to Sabitzer. That uh, that worked well on that occasion. And it came, it came out of nothing. Um, I don't think it was the Dortmund plan to go to Frankfurt and have to have a slagging match and a roller coaster ride of exchanging six goals. Um, and I got the impression from yeah from from Terzic speaking after the game, but also from Sebastian kale that they were a little bit a little, a little bit shocked to have and a bit relieved to have to have got away with the part that they did. And I again, it's not some it's not, a, it's not a massive criticism because it's been a really really tough week for them, uh, and it's, it's turned out ultimately to be a very very good week. Um, I mean, it's it's not easy to think they had to go away to Newcastle, Um, you know. Well, I was going to say maybe the toughest away game in that group was actually there. three really, really tough away games in that group, aren't they? But either way, um, Newcastle having beaten PSG for 0-1, whatever it was, um, to go to St. James's Park, and I mean, I, I thought they were incredibly professional, incredibly stable, incredibly uh, clinical uh, in, in, in Newcastle, probably Dortmund's best performance of the season. But then to come back from that, to go, to, to go away to a place like Frankfurt um, and still come away with a point... Um, ultimately a really, really good week but um, yeah they, they only had themselves to blame for the game turning uh, into the, the goal fest it did and like I said partly down to that uh, lax defending down the uh, down the left
2: I have a final point as well on this um, once again Yusufu Mukuku comes on and rescues Eden tezic's skin yeah super with, sub uh, with a really 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 professional goal um, Stefan you and I have talked about mukuku a lot this year um what does it say about Eden Terzic that this kid, you know, when he's asked often doing something, he does it, right? At the at a very high professional level, and yet he doesn't doesn't get the opportunities that he probably deserves. And I think that is that is something really tough that Eden Terzic has to ask himself here, right? Especially the game where Phil Group didn't score, where Sebastian Haller still struggles it's ultimately this teenager who comes on and gets gets the job done and when does the point come when they just say well maybe we remember the super talent that we had maybe we should give him some more playing time it's and, an interesting one the the relationship between Terzich and Magoko is an interesting one I I, yeah. I I don't think
0: there's any problem there and I, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't go along with the hints that um I don't think the relationship is in any way strained or difficult. I think the complete opposite is the true. Is is true. I mean, has made that point on several occasions last season about the relationship he has with with Yusuf Makoku. Uh, I think that. So I don't think there's any issue there. Uh, he also made the point on several occasions how how valuable Makoku is off the bench, and not just Makoku. Um, J- Jamie Bynum Gittins as well. He's made that point on several on several occasions of how he, he likes having these options. Um, off the bench, perhaps to a lesser extent, Julien Durandville, Although he's not, he's not played that much. Um, Mokoko has has his, has had his chances in the past couple of years in the starting eleven. Um, and it's it, you can't really get away from the facts that he has delivered more and been more effective off the bench, as he was um, against Frankfurt. And um, yeah, I, I stand corrected myself as well. I must admit to the two of you on Sunday when you came on, I was actually just about to text the two of you saying. I can understand him taking uh, Rayner off and replacing him with Eddie Amy, but why are you taking Daniel Marlin off? He's been one of the best players this season in right in that moment Mukoku is put in the back of the net. <laughs> so I
2: thought I'd delete that message. <laughs> and he still admitted that you were running the door.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I th- that, that's actually quite a good kind of segue to what the point I was going to make which was, you know, Dorman's first half was a worst case scenario. You know, not only did he get a bad penalty call in my opinion, uh, not only does Gregor Cobell have to go off probably the best player of the season with an injury uh, and you know they find themselves 2-0 down uh, before they even know what's going on I actually was really impressed with the way that Terzic kind of reacted to that at half time as you said he brought yeah. cuckoo on and Makuku as you, if you actually I'm sure, you, I'm sure Matt knows what I'm talking I'm sure everyone who watches the game knows what I'm talking about uh, but you know, Makuku played so close to Fulkrug in that game. They basically played off one another and it brought such a better presence to that Dortmund attack because it really did feel like Fulkrug was quite isolated in the first half. Um, you know, that's obviously how it kind of led to his goal. Adeyemi, I actually thought, was more of a defensive substitute, if you can believe it, because I think, you know, as as Matt made the point is built in the radar was useless in protecting his fullback, but Adeyemi, just by the sheer pace that he has, is able to kind of keep up with those fullbacks. And probably kind of pins the, full, the 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 Frankfurt right back back because he's aware of the fact that he's got to kind of deal with Aziz pace, which ultimately led to Dortmund obviously getting the third goal uh, through the cross that Brandt con- converted. So, you know, I think Terzic actually, I mean, and on this podcast, I have been one to criticise his in-game management at times. It does feel like you know, you know, we were. I think I said in the in the in the, in the chat that. Previous Dormit iterations under Terzic were almost just, it's just vibes and nothing else. You know, it's just like 11 guys go to the pitch, do what you guys can do. This In in this season, we've seen him be far more kind of regimented and far more intricate with his tactics. And I thought the substitutions he made at halftime made a big difference. But I think the thing that impressed me the most and what made me come away from this game, mm-hmm. actually wanting to give Dormit a lot of praise was... The sheer kind of mental capacity or fortitude that they had to keep going to win that game, um, or not to win the game, but to, to at least take a point from it, uh, I thought was really impressive. And it's not something that I think we often associate with Dortmund sites, where they keep fighting till the end and they always find a way to to get a point. It's something that I've often associated far more with Bar Munich over the years, where you know they can be on the road, they can go down a few goals, they could be 2-0 down after 25 minutes but you just know Bayern are going to find some way to at least get a point from this game and that's kind of what we saw from Dortmund in that second half and I thought that was really interesting because you know, you can argue with the tactics or the players' performances or, you know, how bad Ben Zabaini is at left back and things like that but definitely feels like the kind of ethos or moral or, not moral, uh, morale in this team um, is, is 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 definitely at a higher level under Tuchel this season
0: I don't think you're wrong in noticing that, Stefan. I think that's been a, a, a change that maybe wasn't predictable in Dortmund this season. Um, but as it, it is absolutely absolutely undeniable now after after eight or nine, uh, eight or nine games. Um, Brucey Dortmund, uh, again, this is not to say that they've solved all their problems and they're going to march on and finally win, it, win the title or anything. But um, there is definitely a marked difference in, the, in attitude, in, sorry to mention the word again, mentality, and, just gem, and, and general approach. Um, that's clear to see. The fact that they were able to hang on and ma- maintain their discipline, and um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, general togetherness, team spirit, um, yeah, fighting spirit in Newcastle despite uh, Newcastle hitting the bar, uh, twice later on, uh, yeah, similarly coming back for coming from behind twice, um, away at uh, a team like Eintracht Frankfurt, um, yeah, absolutely shows that this is th- this is a slightly different team, um, and. Um, we're with a different approach and Terzic repeated the mantra in the press conference on, on, uh, on Sunday, uh, he said yeah as he said the week before, less, less sexy more successful um, so it's, it's not an accident and I think we've said before that the longer these performances go on, the less it becomes um, this is your um, Eddie and Terzic support Dortmund, who don't really have much of a plan to this
2: looks a little bit like a plan um, and I think he deserves credit for that. Let's, I'm going to cut off the, the Dortmund talk here because I also, we want to talk about two other teams, uh, including the one that's currently first in the table. No, not Bayern Munich. They're not first. Um, Bayern Leverkusen. They beat uh, Freiburg 2-1 on Sunday as well. Guys, this this has been a remarkable run for them. Um, I thought that... This was actually quite a difficult game for them to play. Ultimately, Florian Wirtz with a really great individual effort to to make it 1-0. Um, Hoffman then made it 2-0. With, well, I guess it was Artubolo, really, who was, when came down as the scorer, right? Or was marked down as the sc- scorer of an own goal. I wrote about that in the newsletter. Really unfortunate. That's a goalkeeper nightmare. When the ball hits the post and it bounces off your back into the goal. Yes, this has happened to me before. There's absolutely nothing you can do. Um, I I read the news that too. Wurtz
1: still got the assist though.
2: Yeah, and I think the Bundesliga app has Hoffman down or was a kicker as a goal scorer. Um, I don't know if I agree with that because it wouldn't have gone in without it hitting Bolo's back. Right.
0: Exactly. Unfortunately for Atabolu, it's an own goal.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's. I I think it's definitely an own goal. Like obviously Hoffman is the one who strikes it, but. I, I think it's one of those own goals where you really can't blame their, their own goal scorer. Because, <laughs> like, what is he supposed to do, right? I mean, he has to dive into the, that direction and then the ball bounces back. I mean... The yeah.
1: Bundesliga websites gave it to Hoffman.
2: Oh, there you go. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a Hoffman goal, but that's just me. um I always learned that if the ball doesn't cross the line... Like if the ball wouldn't have crossed the line without the... Um the, the the own goal scorer scoring the goal. It doesn't count yeah. as an as a goal scored, right?
1: Yeah. Transfer have also gave the goal. I think what they've done there is that they maybe view in a situation like that the same way that you'd maybe view like a deflected shot going mm. in. Yeah. So if say say someone hits a shot off target yeah. but a deflection puts it in the in the net still counts as a goal from the player who hit the shot. So maybe it's maybe it's like that.
2: Okay, But yeah, you're that's right,
1: obviously I'm just I'm just talking about technicalities here, it doesn't change
2: yeah. the point you're making uh, Yeah, either way, I think well, you know, then Feiburg obviously brought one back right, um, but I thought it was actually quite a professional performance and it wasn't one of their best games, but yet they still get the job done, and so Stefan what, I mean, we've been asking this ourselves a few times, but when are we considering Leverkusen a serious title challenger here? Oof. um, <laughs> is this like asking Tottenham fans whether they're going to win the title this year it's it's pretty much equivalent isn't it
1: well both teams look like they could do exactly that to be honest with you yeah. um, maybe the stars are lining or something um, oh my god the world will definitely end if both of them win the title <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean you know I think Leverkusen definitely had to ride of luck a little bit here you know there was obviously the whole kind of fiasco towards the end of the game um, and you know, Freiburg certainly had their chances, but I think the key thing here, and I know it sounds like an easy answer, but Florian Wurz really, really is the kind of magic man here. You know, I watched Leverkusen last weekend um, against uh, Wolfsburg, and it was a game in which, similarly, they came up against a very strong opponent. Uh, you know, Frimpong scores first for Leverkusen, uh, Wolfsburg equalised before half time and... It's at that point where you're really thinking... Hmm... This is maybe the kind of games where Leverkusen drop points... They start to fall away... Bar and overtake them... And everything's back to normal... But... Florian Verts comes on in the 60th minute... And all of a sudden things change... And... Wurtz started in this game... And I think... As good as Leverkusen have been recently... I think if Florian Wurtz isn't in that team... I don't think they win this game... To be perfectly honest with you... You can see that very directly from the fact that he scored an outstanding goal... Obviously set up the second one and smacked the ball with the crossbar as well so you know in his form has been nothing short of incredible I, I kind of tallied up how he's performing in the league so far this season and I stuck out in threads actually this afternoon so just give some context of how well he's doing in case anyone's been living in a cave for the last 6 or 7 weeks but um, according to Opta when you compare him to all other midfielders in the league he's first for successful dribbles first for shots on target First for through balls, third for key passes, which is a pass that leads to a shot, and also has two goals and four assists in nine games. And you mean you know Leverkusen are obviously by no means a one-man team, but in games like this one and last week, where you know Leverkusen are coming up against two teams with you know considerable hopes of probably finishing the top six this season, he has proved to be the difference maker and. You know, in terms of whether they can win the title, they've already played Leipzig, they've already played Bayern, they gave as good as they get, um, obviously they're still about to play Dortmund I suppose in that regard, but yeah, so far so good I'm saying, and, and, and they've, they've proven time and time again against some really good teams in the Bundesliga that they can match just about anyone on the day.
2: Yeah, I, I watched a Europa League fixture midweek as well, and... um Similar to, to to Frankfurt, right? This is Karabach is a team that you have to beat, but you have to beat the opposition in front of you. And they did this with a five-one win. Um, and we've seen this so many times in that in the last few years, right? The Bundesliga teams make a meal out of playing these small oppositions. And I was I was thoroughly impressed um, with that performance as well. And you know they have so many dangerous pieces, like whether it's Boniface, whether it's Frimpong, Viets, obviously. That I mean that goal that he scored to make it 1-0 against Freiburg was just out of outwardly such an incredible individual effort um, and then the finish as well just yeah if you haven't seen it yet you you need to go and see it It, I think it just kind of feels like this team is a bit on a rampage and I guess it really just matters how much longer they can, can keep it going right Matt? Um, yeah, um, I
0: I disagree a little bit when you said that it was maybe one of Leverkusen's sort of not one of their best games. Um, I actually thought it exhibited a lot of the things that are making Leverkusen so good this year. Um, <laughs> um, I think just one one extra thing on on Virat. Obviously, you've mentioned how he how, how good the goal was. He absolutely ran the show, particularly in the in in the first half. He was outstanding. Um, the reaction from Christian Streich and Xavier Alonso to his goal I thought was really interesting. Christian Streich basically turns to his own bench and his coaching staff and just laughs as they flow. And then you, you don't see them both in the same shot, but it seems quite clear to me that Streich then sort of glances across at Alonso because Alonso is glancing in the same way and basically sort of smiles and shrugs his shoulders as if also, yeah. What can you, what can you do about that? He's twisted four defenders inside out. It's messy. It, it's 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 like a yeah. messicle. It's, it's it really is
2: incredible. It
0: really. I, is. I uh, thought
2: the finish what is got what got me because that angle is yeah. almost impossible, and it just hits that back of the depth dam- mm-hmm. with a dunk. Right. Also, I'm, I'm not going to try and compare the situations too much, but if I
0: if I attempt that. That, that that complexity of um of dribble and twisting and turning. Now leave aside the fact that I can't actually pull it off anyway, but it's the the strain it puts on your legs to to dink and dive back and forth, back and forth, turn one way, one direction. Then in the other turn back whilst retaining control of the ball and um, evading tackles from three or four professional Bundesliga defenders, and then retaining the the strength, composure, fitness, and quality to finish the way he did. Yeah, I, I can't can't praise the goal highly enough. It, it, it really is incredible. Um, quick um, mention of uh, Victor Boniface. Obviously, he wasn't directly in, involved in any of the the goals or uh, or, or assists. Um, against Freiburg, but I still thought his performance was really, really interesting, that we really saw a side to him, which I think they really went under the radar a bit in the opening few games when he was uh, taking the headlines with the goals. Um, I thought he exhibited loads of you know, pace down the wing, and he was drifting out wide a lot more than he had done in previous games and offering a threat uh, yeah, a, a threat from wide positions. I thought that was um, uh, really interesting. Um, I thought some of his control, his touches in the box. I can think of one instance where he brings down a um, uh, a high ball first on his head, chest, brings it down and outstretched foot before, before laying it off neatly to I think Palacios who, who shoots over all the goalkeeper says, but really, really neat touches from uh, from Bonnie Face. Also, not to forget, he cl- clearly been watching Harry Kane the day before because he also has an effort from the from the halfway line, very very similar to Kane, uh, apart from he's put it just A few yards further wide, um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, if there is, and this is where I'll probably come back to. Maybe actually agreeing with you slightly, Manu. Um, did we maybe see a glimpse of where Leverkusen do have a weakness? Uh, in the Freiburg's goal came from I think two two substitutes in, or oh, certainly Griffo had been brought on, um, and Golde with a header. I think I think he'd also been brought on. Um yeah, corner, front post header, uh should probably be de- should <laughs> probably be defending that better. So again, I'm not gonna not going to not gonna claim that that we've uh yeah, we, we we've cracked Xavier Alonso, we've cracked by Leverkusen they won't win it. Um but yeah, maybe something to keep an eye on but maybe... set
2: pieces has been something that they've struggled with all season. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. They've so, uh
1: they've conceded more set pieces now than any other team in the league. Actually they've conceded six. Yeah. Um and only Cologne have a higher XG against from set pieces in the league so
2: far. So I was, ho- I was hopeful you had those stats because I knew that they were the worst, but I didn't have that number yeah. in front of me. So great yeah, assist, and, 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 and,
1: Yeah, and, Matt, and Matt's right. Like you can We, we can sit here and, and spend the whole night talking about how great, great Florian Verts is, but at the end of the day, they yeah. still have... Yeah. Hiradaki in goals, Jonathan. Hiradaki yeah. actually I made mean, fan,
0: he made a fantastic save at two no, one. Of uh, course, which without that, would have yeah. been
1: two two. Vital save. Um, but I think he has no. There's no doubt about it. But I I I I, I still feel like he's he's not uh, uh, anyway. I'm not, I don't want to start on Hiradaki rant because I don't I'm not was, that wasn't my initial point. So I don't want to. But my actual point was to kind of focus in on Tapsoba actually who. I think sometimes he he gets linked to the Premier League so much that I think some people just assume he's the finished article. No, I know that, but it it also means that people maybe just assume he's the finished product, and Mm -hmm. I think he's still a very raw player. And, you know, I think that's maybe a good example. That's maybe why we're seeing, like, Leverkusen maybe look quite vulnerable from set pieces. If you kind of look across that back three, you know, Jonathan Taz well documented that he has his issues Herdeke's got his issues but also I think Tab in particular can still be error prone uh, in these kind of high profile matches
2: Yeah I think that's fair I think what really rescues them is that they have a World Cup winner and kind of in in midfield um, that,
0: that midfield cleaning pair, up a lot of those mistakes ahead of time of,
2: of Wirtz,
0: and Hoffman just ahead of them is, is very very yeah. strong that's some extremely good um uh, squad, squad building then by, Palazzo, uh, by, so. by Simon Rolfers. Yeah, those were really impressive, yeah. and uh, you yeah. can see how much, yeah, the the extent to which uh, uh, Jonas Hoffman is Leverkusen's game. You also see how much uh, jumped out back are
2: missing him. Um, I, I've always thought of very underrated player, and I'm glad to see him doing well. I think Hoffman is an upgrade to Diaby. It's I know controversial thing to say, no, maybe con- not
0: v- very controversial. I think different types of players. I, I wouldn't associate yeah, yeah. um, Hoffmann no, no, with dribbling sort of and pace. The I think Diaby it fits
2: things. better. Mm-hmm. I think it's he's a better team player all around than Diaby was. Maybe a slightly better finisher as well, slightly more clinical mm-hmm. finisher. Yeah.
0: But um, then again, I, I, I'm not going to take too much away from Diaby. One of my favourite no. players to watch in the Bundesliga. I mean, I, I, I would to- go, I would go to Leverkusen, um, even on days I wasn't working, just to watch Musa Diaby alone. Fantastic player.
2: No, no. Like I mean, it just meant as like a piece fitting into this team. It just mm-hmm. feels like an upgrade because, you know, he's a more he rounds the team up better um, yeah. in many ways than maybe Diaby did. Um, yeah,
1: he's. I think I think Hoffman's probably a better all-round player. Diaby was obviously a very, very good direct player, and he had, and he sorry, still does have exquisite skills, but. I completely agree with you. I mean, the fact that Hoffman can kind of just play in the middle of the park, or he can play out wide, and he's obviously so good at kind of playing off. Um, I mean, Verts and, and Diaby had a great connection with each other, but, I mean, Hoffman, no no other winger created more goals or assists last season than Jonas Hoffman in a very average gladback team, so he certainly deserves his spot at a team that's now pushing for
2: titles, and I hope he gets them. Yeah, me too. Um, one team that will stand in the way of it have an English striker who scored from the halfway line. Um, we have to talk about this. The The game itself... Actually, you know, the game itself was kind of chaotic. The, the game it's, itself was,
0: was absolutely ridiculous. Three red was, cards in one half and eight goals yeah. in the other. It was obscene.
2: Yeah, well, then, <laughs> the, moment, the moment Darmstadt went down to nine man against ten Bayern players, the, the scoreline was always going to go that way. Oh ridiculous um i you know it's one of those eight usually when buy win a winner game eight 0 i'm like yeah whatever boring but the first half alone meant that there was so much to talk about dad and then harry kane scores this halfway goal i'm going to actually write about halfway line goals um in the newsletter this week so uh stay with me here but yours, you yours know it have doesn't have the, Beck- the beckham documentary hype that's all you're trying to do no, 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 no. But what Beckham did was great, but there was a certain Bernd there, and a certain Klaus Augenthaler did it way before that. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned to my newsletter. You'll see. <laughs> I, I, you know, there was one moment, though, where, um, and the cameras, and I, I put it on Threads. Um, I know, Matt, you currently can't see Threads because Threads isn't available in Europe yet, but um, it was really well captured where he takes the shot and you can just tell that it's going to go in, right? It's one of those iconic moments. And you just know this Kane goal is going to be played on Sport 1 for decades.
1: Yeah. Or in the little kind of halftime montages that they play yeah. in the Bundesliga feed. Um, but, um, yeah. It, it, like I actually missed this game because, as you said, Manu, I saw Bayern versus Darmstadt boring. I've got better things to do with my Saturday. And, that's, that's, um, that's
0: that'll teach you for uh, talking down buying damn stuff
1: well I actually got <laughs> but, to watch Stuttgart Hoffenheim which I thought was an excellent game as well are, yeah very really, very really good game yes. yeah that's true um, that was a great so game so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that but yeah it, it's also it, it's a really hard thing to do to score from the halfway line I mean it seems silly to say but mm.
2: there's, a,
1: there's a TV show in the UK which I'm sure Matt will remember called Soccer AM where they used to have footballers on every weekend to try and hit the crossbar from the halfway line and they'd line up the whole squad and they take turns obviously in their training ground and I reckon about maybe 10% of them could even get the ball anywhere near the goal never mind hit a crossbar but even get it towards the goal itself from the halfway line so for Kane to do that with a goalkeeper running back on goal in the middle of a match um, yeah incredible well, and... we, we,
0: we literally saw 24 hours later that when Victor Boniface tried it and, uh, and it drifted wide so there you go it's really not as easy as it seems I think and we see one, pretty much all the time, to read, right? To read into that Harry Kane goal, though, I think, I mean, there's not that much you, you can say about Harry Kane. Everyone, everyone knows what he does and what he delivers. Um, but I just want to highlight the just the, the pure accuracy of it. And he, he doesn't just do it with that one shot. Um, again, maybe this is maybe this is obvious to people who've watched even more of Harry Kane than, than me. I, I don't know, but I was keeping a close eye on him in Mainz last week where, you know, the press box is very low down. I thought it was great to really keep an eye on players and, um the way Harry Kane drops deep almost as deep as the halfway line at times in that sort of pivot roll to pick up the ball deep and then so many occasions he would launch a crossfield field ball um, but always with pinpoint accuracy uh, it, it really is something to behold and um, yeah it was that same precisely that same skill that same accuracy which came into play for his for his finish against Darmstadt
2: so that was just a little little takeaway that I took from it you know you can see his impact on the game by the very fact that yes he's second in goal scoring behind a certain Serho Gourassi you may have caught that story we we mentioned it on the show here and there Um, he's second behind Gourassi with 12 goals but right behind him is a certain Leroy Sané with 8 and you know like I don't think Leroy Sané would be on 8 goals at this point of the season if Bayern hadn't bought Harry Kane and I think that tells you everything you need to know about the impact that Harry Kane had on Bayern Munich
1: yeah no, absolutely. I, I think it's also, I think Matt hits the nail on the head actually when he talks about the accuracy that Kane has, and I think that's something that, I think if you had to pick one one attribute that he has that has made that has allowed him to become an elite footballer, it is his accuracy with is his with the ball at his feet. You know, he's not the fastest player, yeah. he's not the strongest player, he's not the biggest guy. Um, he's not, you, you know, he's not a
2: huge. He's actually athletic. quite big though, Stefan. I, I'm I'm so- Christ, like you're right, he's not fast, um, mm. and that's actually another thing that really surprised me watching him in the Bundesliga. Because most Bundesliga strikers are very fast, right? Mm. He isn't. Mm. He actually, look, he, his frame is quite big. Yeah, but yeah he, he, by he no compensates that lack
0: of pace so well. In the the, the, yeah. the, the the intelligence of the way he drops deep, it's, he it's drops not deep a knock, into spaces that noticed. nobody else that nobody else sees, and uh, it's, it really is top 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 class.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only yeah. point I was going to make was that. That accuracy with finishing is obviously something that he's been able to apply to his passing in the kind of latter stages of his career. Because if you watch his development, it, it, it spurs. He comes through as this, this excellent kind of penalty ball striker, but as he develops, he becomes this kind of all round forward who can create passes and, or create goals as often as he scores them. He obviously had that great link up with Young Son, and he was able to do that very well with Leroy Sane, too. And that obviously adds a whole new kind of facet to this bar attack where as in the past they relied on Robert Lewandowski to be the finisher and he was obviously very good at doing that Um, you know arguably the best in the world at it Um, Harry Kane comes in and he can play the Robert Lewandowski role arguably as well as Lewandowski but he can also provide the build up play which maybe Lewandowski didn't have and perhaps something that Bayern will need more of in the really tight crunch games, you know, perhaps against Dortmund at the weekend, but also I'm thinking more so of the Champions League matches where in the past, you know, Lewandowski has finished the chances that he's had, but, you know, against really good teams that can push Bayern back, there's been, opportunity, there's been instances where, you know, Lewandowski's been maybe... Isolated because he doesn't have the same link-up play. And if Harry Kane can bring that to, his, if he can bring that side of his game to Bayern as he has done so far, then it's that kind of little extra string to to, to Bayern's bow um, that can can maybe help them, uh, you know, properly challenge the Champions League. I think that'll be really key
0: next week. Uh, the, the extent to which he can bring his creativity to bear to compensate for the absence of Joshua Kimmich. Um. Um. Yeah. Again, just yeah, to move it forward next week. No. No. commit He'll be. He'll be suspended. So. Um. Yeah. It'll be. Yeah. All. All. All the more impetus on. Um. On. On the likes of Kane, and the other creative players midfield. Also, I thought uh, Comrade Lima was really impressive as well against uh, against Darmstadt. that you can't read too much into the Darmstadt game because it's just obviously a. Its very nature, a unique and bizarre situation having a 10 against uh, nine, yeah, ten against really nine exactly. And you, yeah, but it's honestly, seriously, you could see like sort of spaces opening up at times, which yeah. would never have opened up in a normal game. And I think it took even Bayern maybe a while to get used to that, hence why it was nil nil at half time. But uh, obviously, yeah. once the floodgates opened, they they, they, they they well and truly did. But and yeah, if, really, yeah, really bizarre situation, which uh, yeah, you, you had to feel the damn stuff i feel
2: by the end being a man down against Bayern is hard but being a man down having lost two players and still being a man down right it's just that just adds such a different element because they were you know it was pretty even even when it was 10 against 10 but yeah as you said that room that extra room and if Bayern get that extra room you know then that attack we talked about this last week right uh, Stefan no problem like we lots of issues with the defense but that attack is maybe one of the best maybe the best in Europe um if you put all the individual pieces together so if you give them that room dear God that's what,
0: but that's what <laughs> made it such an impossible task for Darmstadt is that yeah. it, it, it's one thing buy- players
2: getting room
0: and getting spaces but that would normally be in positions and spaces which you've identified previously and would have yeah. attempted to close down. In a situation where it's ten against nine for sixty minutes, those spaces are not spaces you've reckoned with, mm. uh, and I think particularly, I think I think it was uh Musiata, one of Musiala's strikes, where um, yeah. I thought, yeah, that's that's the position where normally in eleven v eleven, that's a, a a space that Darmstadt would target defensively to rule the, to try and rule that out. And, yep. and obviously this was just it, 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 it started to resemble a bit of like a seven-on-seven seven kick us out, kick around in the park when one
2: person's gone home early and everyone else is tired yeah three goals by Kane two by Kane. Uh, Musiala two by Sané and one by Thomas Müller um remarkable guys we're out of time we, we could probably spend another 15 minutes talking about this but unfortunately um time is up um We'll be back soon with more content. Obviously, this show is brought to you by Bet Online, Matt. Before you go, where can people find you? Um, I know threats isn't that thing yet. Both Stefan and I are moving mostly over to threats, right, Stefan? But um, until threats becomes available for you, I guess you're still mostly on Twitter and a little bit on Blue Sky. I see you there as well.
0: Yeah, I'm on uh, yeah, Twitter and Blue Sky still.
2: Um,
0: I'll be in. Uh, Kaiserslautern tomorrow night for the cup game against Cologne. Oh, um, Jonas I've decided to spend my my Halloween in a in a city where it's Halloween every day. So that's that's <laughs> that's what I'm doing on on Tuesday On the night. Betzenberg <laughs> so, where the devil so lives. If you want to see
2: any <laughs> you want to see any
0: impressions from uh, Kaiserslautern against Cologne in the dark on a oh, Tuesday so night, jealous. then uh, that's. Yeah, that that's where to that's where to be. One last thing on a slightly more serious note, uh, just before we started recording, um, and carrying on from a, a thing we mentioned last week, Mainz uh, have actually lifted um, Anwar El Ghazi's yeah. uh, suspension um, and uh, issued an official warning instead, with a view to opening the door to him and rehabilitate rehabilitating him and reintroducing him to the team. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned last week, um, he was uh, suspended for uh, a post regarding the Middle East conflict, which Mainz said contradicted their uh, club values. And as I said, I did, a, I did a piece from Mainz last week talking to uh, fans, journalists, people at the club to, to try and understand some of the reasons why that was the case. So, yeah, feel free to look back into that background and back into that context uh, in the light of uh, Mainz's decision today. My decision yeah. has also been communicated in English uh on their website. So uh feel free to have a read of that. And uh, yeah, I just think it's a it's uh yeah, an, an interesting element of German football culture and perhaps society in general. Um yeah, made made accessible via football, which I think is always a good thing. So where, where, wherever you stand on these things,
2: uh do, do feel free to have a look. Yeah. Bayern also did some of Raui and Pirates, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I just want to make one point, Mana. before we wrap up. On the know about social media and, and Twitter kind of falling apart, it I'd just like to kind of, once again, promote the Matchday threads that we do post on, not threads, the Matchday chats, I think they're called, on Substack, that we post every weekend. Uh, it's where we kind of talk with the paid subscribers and we have kind of real-time conversations during the games. This weekend's thread... Uh, Keep calling them threads. I think they are actually called threads on Substack. So that's why I'm getting confused. But it's basically like a forum we set up, and um, we have a we have a a post for the match days. And this match days post had 273 comments, and it was a lot of fun. It's and I'm sure the people listening to this, the pay subscribers will know who I'm talking about. But it was a good laugh, and I have found myself more and more every weekend not just because it's our substack and, you know, we benefit from it, but because I'm not on Twitter anymore and because Thread's a little quiet and obviously most of the German football isn't over there yet, it's a really good place if people are looking for an alternative to social media and they just want to follow, you know, a live stream of people's comments about games because, you know, I was watching Stuttgart, we had some guys watching other games, they were commenting, there's a few Gladbach fans in there who comment every weekend, for example, so it's a really good place if... If you if you feel like Twitter is kind of drying up a bit and you're looking for a community of Bundesliga fans, uh, I would definitely recommend you can take a free um, trial on our Substack and then you can have a read of it um, on the Substack app over the weekend. And yeah, if you like it, obviously you can stick around, say hi, welcome introduce yourself, and everyone's really nice in there. I think I think it's 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 becoming a kind of necessity for me every match day.
2: Mm, yeah, and we answer questions on there too um need to point that out as well like if we can if we can answer it or like if our reporting allows us um we definitely answer questions on there as well um yes we're both active on there quite a bit i enjoy it as well i think it's great um it's a good community just to bounce ideas around too and yeah um everyone has been incredibly passionate about the Bundesliga. why not taking it into a direction that we too often see on twitter nowadays um, I do enjoy threads as well, but threads is become is more like a place where you post an idea or a thought, and then it just kind of sits there, right? It's kind of like a written Instagram, I guess, uh, which makes sense because that's kind of you know where, that's where it stems from. But I, I do have to say I have enjoyed threads as well. Um, so yeah, you can you can find me there as Manu F. Uh Stefan, you Stefan Binkowski is your handle on threads, right? Uh, yes, Stefan underscore Binkowski. Yeah, Stefan underscore Yeah, I'm just Manuel. Anyways, guys, we need to wrap this up. Um, A marathon podcast today, but I think um, a lot of fun. Um, Thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back soon. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm
1: Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wall. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband and co-host Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean the mini fridge? It's a mini. Fr- it's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.